Make me a servant, filled by your might, and may all of our labors shine with your light. Show us your footsteps and what we should do for now and forever. Make us like you. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. If you'd like to stand and join us, make me a servant. the Lord together and to share food and fellowship. Yes, amen. Yes, we need to pray for all of our young people in this world today 
it's, uh, I can't imagine how hard it must be to be a teenager now. And I know I worry for my grandchildren. I'm sure you all feel the same way. Yeah. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege to come to your house to worship and to be with our dear friends. Um, hold us by your right hand, guide us, and direct us in the way that you would have us to go. Um, open our ears and our hearts that we can hear your message for us. And we pray for Linda as she brings us a message today. Uh, be with us as we go through this day and every day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a, the message from Billy Graham's Hope. This is not something that we normally like to talk about, but uh, there are some of us that have reached the age that it's often on our minds. Um, Beyond the starry sky, we are looking for the city that is to come. Paul looked forward to death with great anticipation. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, that's from Philippians 1.21. Death for him was not an enemy to be feared, but a reality to be welcomed in God's time. For him, death was the joyous gateway to a new life, the life of heaven. Without the resurrection of Christ, there could be no hope for the future. The Bible promises that someday we are going to stand face to face with the resurrected Christ. All our questions will be answered and all our sorrows and fears will vanish. An old gospel hymn puts it well, face to face with Christ my Savior, Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. And the hope for today, death for a Christian is not an end, it's a celebration a chance to see loved ones, heroes of the faith, and Jesus to die truly is gain.
place where peace and justice reign. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on Him, our soul's reward. by faith and not by sight. By faith the prophets saw a day when the Lord for Messiah would appear with the power to break the chains of sin and death and rise triumphant from The church was called to go in the power of the Spirit to the lost to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner of the earth. We will stand children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our souls reward, till the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. We will stand children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our souls reward, till the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. By faith this mountain shall be moved, and the power of the gospel shall prevail, for we know in Christ all things are possible, for all who call upon his name, we will stand as children souls reward till the race is finished and the work is done we'll walk by faith and not by sight we will stand as children of the promise we will fix our eyes on
faith and not by sight. My praise shall be with you in great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom of the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat in worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be encountered, recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to the people who will be born, that he has done this. Repeat with me Psalms 23. You, Lord, are my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. You restoreth my soul. You lead me to the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anointeth my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and 25 through 31. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds quickly spr sprouted because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as they had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. 
But that night, as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the, that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the weed if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvester to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. And we have no responsive or unison meeting today. So, Linda, you're up. So, um, this morning, we're going to do this like I do women's Bible study. So, you men have just sort of joined into women's Bible study this morning. I do not come as a pastor. Um, but um, some weeks ago, um, the Lord placed on my heart a message. It was about the time that pastor had us um, start fasting and praying for Jerusalem. And then Kathy, bless her heart, did a, a half sheet for us that not only was a, how we would pray for Jerusalem, but for the city of Tucson and for our church. It was a consistent prayer and fasting. And at that time, the Lord sort of put upon my heart a message for the church body. And I went to pastor and I said, is there a time I could share that? And he said, well, I'm going to be gone in July on vacation. Would you like to use that Sunday? And I said, yes. <laughs> the Lord nudged me and he said, yes. So I come uh, today with that message that I feel like the Lord brought. And um, when he asked us to pray and to fast, um, I, I, there are many, many passages in both the Old and the New Testament about fasting. I am going to take us to one specific um, uh, passage today about fasting, and I think that it has to do with the health of the church. So, you know, over the last three or four or five months, or even maybe longer than that, actually, three years, I'm going to say, that I've been here, I have um, been called upon to serve this body in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways was to be on the pastoral board, to pray for our pastor, to look for a pastor. I was on with Wayne and Kathy and to pray and look for uh, worship leaders. And I've just uh, tried to play whatever part that the Lord had uh, for me here in the body. And so today I come just as a member of the church body and a women's uh, Bible study leader. Um, so could you put up slide number one? I've only got a couple of little slides. I don't have a bunch of slides. But this slide, it says, and most of you are familiar with this, that the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. The, the Bible is, is a consistent message. The Old Testament is not teaching anything different 
than the New Testament reveals. It is all God's message. It reveals the nature of God and his relationship to man. It, re it reveals the promise of God to, um, to save us from destruction, to save mankind. And it instructs on God's will. The Old Testament does that, and then the New Testament reveals it. In addition, the Old Testament is full of repetitive cycles. We see, I'm going to bring up one cycle today, but that same cycle is played out over and over and over in the Old Testament. And here is the cycle. The people believe God, and then they become idol worshipers, and then God goes to them and he says, you're going to have to pay a price for this. He warns them. He brings destruction, and then they call out again, save us, Lord, please forgive us, and they turn around. So this cycle, it just repeats and repeats throughout uh, Israel's, um, uh, throughout all that we know of Israel in the Old Testament. So this morning, I'm going to be taking uh, an Old Testament perspective um, of what God desired the church to look like. And why am I doing that? I'm doing that because throughout these last years, as I've served this body, basically we've been saying, well, what is the ch this church supposed to look like? What is, this, what is this church supposed to look like, you know? What are, what are we supposed to do? What pastor are we supposed to get? Then, 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 on and on and on. And honestly, um, there are 66 books in the Bible. They're all consistent. And um, I don't think any of them reveal uh, a passage that looks like the Church of America today. We could go, you know, you each have an idea of what the church is supposed to look like, but it's because of your historic roots, where you've been to church, you know. We were in a church of 350 for many years, an S. Southern Baptist Church in California. We came here. We went to Christ Community. There's a thousand people there. Then to Calvary and then to here, which is a small body. We came to a small body with purpose. We wanted to know those we were worshiping with. We wanted to serve those we were worshiping with. Each one of you have kind of an idea of what church is supposed to look like, but honestly, the American church, all of the, you know, the big worship services and the way we have a format written down and we have a service, it's, yeah, the church is different than the service that we do on Sunday. We are not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. And in fact, during the whole COVID time, there was a time in America, and they were trying to break the back, I believe that they were trying to break the back of the church to not gather together. And we didn't go along with it, did we? While we were in the age group that um, was probably most susceptible to catching COVID, we still came after about a month and a half of missing each other, we said, we're coming to church, we will gather ourselves together and we will worship God, and we did. And honestly, we, we didn't lose any of our church members, we stayed pretty healthy, um, but we believed the command that we were to gather together. And so this, our Sunday service is one thing, but that doesn't define the church. So today, I am going to, and, and, <laughs> 
you all have your sheets because when you come to women's Bible study, you have a whole list of scriptures, and I may call upon you to, um, to read them <laughs> out loud. So um, that's kind of uh, what we're going to do now, is we're going to jump into scriptures and see what I think God's will is for a fast in the church, because we were called to a fast. Now I'm going to go, and we're going to take a look at what I think, um, or what God says about his fast. It's very important to see his will. Okay, so um, 66 books in the Bible. Um, it's, I, I don't think it's, um, uh, I don't think it's accidental that one of our primary prophets, Isaiah, has how many chapters? 66 chapters, sort of in the center of the book, and his, um, and his message is so profound. Um, so we're going to start in Isaiah 1, and we're, I'm going to read 2 through 4. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner and a donkey its, master, uh, it, its master's manger. But Israel doesn't know. My people don't understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel, and they have turned away from him. So this is the condition of mankind, right? And it is concealed in the Old Testament. Now, I want to take a look at a New Testament passage where that condition is revealed very simply, very clearly. Who wants to read that for me? Romans. Go ahead. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so in the New Testament, there is the condition of mankind. It's it's, it's hidden in a way in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, revealed plainly. That's the condition of mankind. Okay, now we're going to... This is a leap through Isaiah, by the way. Okay, so we're going to leap to Isaiah 25, and it takes us through these stages of redemption. Isaiah 25.1, Isaiah exalts the Lord, and he gives thanks. So here it is. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Ah, God planned from the beginning of time, from the beginning of our faithlessness, he was faithful. He made a plan right then that he was going to win us back. And this entire book, Old and New Testament, is one message of his buying us back for himself. Okay, so that he exalts the Lord. Isaiah 5, uh, 25, 2, he proclaims God's power over the nations. For you have made a city a heap, a fortified city into a ruin. A palace of strangers is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. So God, there, here we see Isaiah proclaiming that God will use his great power to take out evil and to take down evil cities. Okay, now let's go to three. Proclaims the outcome of God's power to be received honor. Therefore, a strong people will glorify you. 
when they see that God's power will take down, the one thing that we are struggling with more in America today, I think, than anything else, is that we see evil that is, um, that is winning out, and it is not being judged. And that, that failure to see evil being judged is a burden to our souls and our heart. But it's very clear here that there will be a time that evil will be judged, and the outcome of that is that a strong people will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. There will be a time when that happens when we will revere God. And then Isaiah 25, 4 through 10, God defends helpless and needy a refuge and will lavish his people. So let me read through that. For you have, read with me on your sheets, please. For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. Boy, we can, we really love the thought of that. And for the breath of the ruthless is like a rain storm against a wall, like heat in drought. You subdue the uproar of aliens like heat by the shadow of a, of a cloud. The song of the ruthless is silenced. The Lord of hosts will prepare, oh, I love this, a lavish banquet for all his people on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine and choice pieces of marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all the peoples. Even the veil, and this is the veil, we talked about it this morning, which is stretched over the nation. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from faces and he'll remove the reproach of his people on the earth for the Lord has spoken. And in that day will be said of the day, behold, this is our God whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad over his salvation. So this passage contains a very specific hope for all mankind. And it's reiterated in Hebrews 2, 14 in the New Testament. Who'd like to read that passage for us? Anybody want to read that? It's on your page. Isn't it? Did I put it on your page? Maybe I didn't. Okay, I'll read it. Hebrews 2.14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, he, Jesus, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Our, our dear sister Cheryl and Bill just experienced having to go to two services yesterday. Death is over us right now, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. That is the veil that is over mankind. We live with this veil over us all the time that death will come. As we walk through this life, we are captured in something in one of the dimensions, which is time. And we all every day get up and look in the mirror and see time on our faces, don't we? It's a little scary for me. So um, now let's jump to Isaiah 58. 
And Isaiah 58 is a discussion back and forth between God and Isaiah. And so um, the people say to God, why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? So we just went through this time of fasting. And yet most of us didn't see any great big change in our nation or our world or anything. And we could stand back and we could say, God, why have we done all this and you haven't done anything on your side? That's what they were saying to God. And you know what? God answered. Behold, on the day of your fast, you do as you please. And you oppress your workers, and you fast with contention and strife, and to strike viciously with your fist. In other words, you just do what you normally do. You just take out one little food or something, you know? And so, so he's answered back, and he asks a question of the people. Is this the fast I have chosen? A day for a man to deny himself? to bow his head like a reed and to spread out a sackcloth and to make a big show of how I'm fasting. I'm giving something up for God. Is that, is that an acceptable day for the Lord? Now, he got the people's attention, and he has a prepared answer. He has an answer. And this is the direction that we as the church have about fasting. And we need to know what this says. There's a lot of times that people don't want to go into the Old Testament because the Old Testament's kind of hard to get through sometimes. This is an important thing. Is this the fast that I've chosen? And here is his fast. Are you ready? One, to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke. There is nothing there about not drinking your coffee in the morning or giving up sugar. It has to do with something else. It's an essential thing. It's taking the chains of wickedness that are on the backs of people and untying the cords of the yoke, setting oppressed people free. That is a picture of people caught in sin. And we're supposed to be dealing with that. Isn't it to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the poor and the homeless into your home and to clothe the naked when you see him and not turn away from those of your own flesh and blood. In other words, don't turn away from your own family and their needs. Here is the promise. If, if you have not ever read this promise, boy, get excited because this is a great promise. Then when you do this fast, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be at your rear guard. And then you will call on the Lord and he will answer you. You will cry out and he will say, here I am. If, here's the big if, if then, if you remove the yoke from your midst, pointing of the, of the finger and malicious talk, and if you give yourself to the hungry, satisfy the afflicted soul, then, then your light will go forth in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. The Lord will always guide you. He will satisfy you in the sun-scorched land and strengthen your frame and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and you will restore an age-old 
foundations, foundations, the foundations of our nation have crumbled. We, we can all uh, see that. You will be called the repairer of the breach, restorer of the streets of the dwelling. So God wants us to recognize that which will destroy man individually are those chains and those yokes, and they are, they are unrighteousness, their wickedness, and their sin. And if people stay under that power of sin, they will not have light in their life. And we are really there as a nation. We're living under this, these chains. And these things that are unthinkable have come to be, and we don't even speak, men, most of us, and certainly the church is not speaking against them. We are going in and we are changing the sex of little children. We are literally allowing um, a child, the innocence of children, to be stripped away from them. And we're doing it as a public, in, in, in the public eye and not saying anything about it. We don't, we're silent. So, um, Slide two, please. When, uh, this, this is a saying that I heard years ago. I don't even know who said it. But when asked what a Christian was, someone, this person who I thought was really smart, but I don't know who it is, said, it's one hungry beggar telling another hungry beggar where to get food. We are to share our bread with the hungry. The hungry are those that are wrapped up and tied in sin. And we need to be willing to share our bread with anyone who we meet who is hungry, who is tied in, tied in the chains of iniquity. And we can say, Jesus can set you free. Jesus is the answer. His life is the answer. How many of you have heard this definition? No, really? You haven't heard the definition? Well, I think it's a good definition of a Christian. And so if you're a hungry beggar, try to remember to show other hungry beggars where to find food. Um, okay, so I want to leap to the New Testament, the New Covenant. Um, so the church as pictured in this in this. Um, uh, fast. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how uh, exuberant you are. It doesn't give a format for the church. It tells our purpose. Our purpose is to get people out from under the power of the death and sin that they're under. So I want to leap to the new, new covenant, the new agreement. And in Matthew 16, 19, it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I've got two keys in front of me. What's it like in your life if you lose your keys? Do you get panicked? Why? Because keys are really important. You can't start your car. You can't get into your house. You can't open your business. Keys are important. And that's why they were called keys of the kingdom. Two concepts. Whatsoever we bind on earth. When you pray for your family members, 
when you pray for your children, your grandchildren, you need to pray that they are bound like a papoose to the heart of God, that they are bound and bind them. Lord, I bind my daughter Gwen to your will and to your way and to your word. I bind her. You pray that they are bound. You use a key. And then you loose them. You know what they are stuck on. You know the sins that are besetting them. And don't be, don't be hesitant. You loose them from that sin in the power and the name of Jesus. I loose you from that powerful sin of alcoholism or of uh, sexual perversion or from idolatry. You call out the sin and loose them in the name of Jesus. Use the keys of the kingdom. That's why God gave them to us. That's the church. It's the job of the church. The rest of us, this is a weekly meeting where we love one another, we hold one another up, and we encourage one another. But the church, you and I, the fast we've done is this. When we accepted Jesus, he plucked us up out of the kingdom of darkness, and he transferred us, and he plucked us into the kingdom of light. And when he did that, we stepped away from all of the besetting things of this world, and we said they are not ours any longer. That's the true fast. The fast is to say no to the things of worldly pursuits and yes to God. When you get up every morning, you say to God, you say, God, I'm in your kingdom. You transferred me here for your reason. Doesn't matter how old I am. I'll do whatever you show me today because your will is my will. Bind me to your will and loose me from anything that would keep me from you. That is the fast of the church. I'm going to pray. Father God, I praise you and thank you for your mercy. It does not matter that we feel weak because age has come upon us. Because in you, we are strong. In you, we are mighty because we have lived many years and we can see what is going on around us. Give us the willingness to walk in the fullness of your power and your strength. Give us the willingness to use the keys that you've put in our hands and not walk out of the door without these keys, Lord. Not come into our prayer closet without these keys. Let us bind our children and our, uh, the people around us, that we might see them loosed from these chains of wickedness that are holding them and unbind their eyes that they might see you. Let us become the prayer warriors that you would have us to be. And I pray for our church that we would do according to your good purpose. In Jesus' holy name, amen.
go in peace.